The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. Do you suppose that I am here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. A father divided against his son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Fire and a sword. Is that our God, this wrathful God of war? I thought he was the Prince of Peace. Well, we'll come back to that, really, because I think we have to let it simmer. But our God, I've said this before, he, refu- he refuses to stay in our crosshairs. He's sort of always on the move because he refuses to be idolized, you know. An idol stays still, but Jesus is a living God. God is a living God. Uh, and so we have to keep readjusting our gaze, recalibrating our compass to, to follow him. And he does ask us to follow I'd, I'd venture to guess that all of us, if we had to, and maybe we've done it, you know, even recently, if we had to communicate the Christian message in a nutshell, I think we could do that, whether to our families, to our friends, even some stranger who meets us and says, what do you guys believe in there? I think we could articulate something of, of the, the bare essentials of the Christian life. Um, I wrote here that in, in a nutshell, our faith could be explained as this God who is love, created as a free gift of the world out of nothing so as to share with free agents he didn't create machines but he created free people who can or cannot be in relationship with him um, out of love he, he gives us the freedom to enter into that divine life which is his company and of course the plot thickens pretty quick but God enters into the thick of it to redeem our flesh to kind of purify the trauma from our blood and to bring us deeper and deeper into relationship with him. He does this in a great myriad of ways, but, but it's, it boils down to relationship with our God, doesn't it? Which is always free and loving. Um, fear has no place in that. Well, there's more things we could say, of course, but I think in a funny way, the Christian story we've just, we've just explained encapsulates every story. Every story that there is somehow falls within that pretty simple story. Of, of falling in and staying in love. And especially when we come here at Mass, we're trying to put ourselves in that story and we're trying to put ourselves really in what we call the Paschal mystery, the dying and rising of Jesus. If we don't experience something of that, I think the story just becomes vanity. Jesus puts this context for us to live in, to, to kind of walk in and, and get, a, get a grasp of who we are and where we are and who this God is. Jesus enters into human history as a human. Just as Jesus was carried in the womb and birthed into the world, so too each of us was brought forth from our mother's womb into a brave new world. Just as Jesus had to learn under the authority of his parents in a home and was formed in the religious tradition of his family, so too we were raised in our own families, in our little tribes, and certainly in our religious institutes. And just as Jesus took to himself friends, companions on the journey, 
we too have gathered companions to walk with us as we've traversed uh, life's journey. Finally, just as Jesus, we hear in the Gospels, turned his face face like flint to um, the cruelest forces in this world and braved them and, and sort of did battle with them, and it was a very costly battle. It cost him everything, in fact. We too, at times, have to brave the cruel forces of this world and we've all been buffeted at different times and to different degrees by those forces that we've come to know. Unlike Jesus, I guess it's worth saying, none of us are perfect. I suppose that's worth um, just naming. But it's not really something to dwell on, not something to discourage us, because the fact is, Jesus is perfectly with us. We may not be perfect ourselves, but we have access to the person who is perfection. We have access to this God-man with us, and perfection is therefore sort of invested in us. You know, um, that's, that's what grace is. And so in a mysterious way, I think we can all identify in our own lives. And I, if, if you comb your own histories now, I think we can all cite rising and falling, little deaths and little resurrections as we've gone along the way. Insofar as this is true, Jesus, the perfect one, the Lamb, um, dies and rises in us and, and us in him. Do we see this in the life of Jeremiah? I love that little passage that you read, Val. Jeremiah had a hard life. You know, he was called to be a prophet to people who just didn't want to listen to him. They had all sorts of false prophets there that they preferred. They said, Jeremiah, go to prison. Go away. We, we like these people. They tell us what we like. And he was telling them the truth that they didn't like. So, so they didn't like him at all. Um, hard, hard life. And I can't help but see foreshadowing of the Jesus story in Jeremiah. Especially maybe in that passage, think of Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Think of the odd, tense encounters that, that they had with all the crowd there. You know, you've got Pontius, who's a governor. He's got some authority. He's got some credibility and power. But he gives this sort of flimsy act of leadership. Oh, I wash my hands of this. You guys do whatever you want, you know. And really, the same thing happened to Jeremiah. The crowd brings the, the petition to the king. And he says, oh, he's in your power. I, I have nothing to say on the matter. So they throw him in the well where he is to drown. Not in water, but in mud, slush. You know, he's put down into the deep, dark, empty nothing with no one. Uh, and thankfully, whoever that guy, Ebed Melik, was, he came and interceded for him. And the crowd, for all we know, has gone away. But these three, these three nobodies come and put down the ropes and bring him back out again. Well, I think we can see, maybe not exactly, hopefully we've not been literally thrown in a dark well, but um, there's the crowd and then there's our close few who, who really are trusted camaraderie um, for us. You know, they, they know us, they've got our best interest at heart. I remember when I was young, and I guess I'm still young, but I remember when I was younger, uh, I, I guess I valued every friend as, a, as the best friend. And my mum said, Ashwin, as time goes on, you're going you're gonna to have your little crew, you know, and, and that's invest in them because that's important. Um, and I guess that's happened, you know. Um, I, try and, I try and foster friendship with everyone, but there are those people that, I, that I'm able to keep close and I know that when I'm in a well, I can call out to them and they'll come with some rope and they'll, they'll help me out and, and vice versa. Um, maybe the crowd won't be as helpful as they will be. 
Anyway, um, returning to us, the Paschal mystery in our lives means that each of us are going to have to have our frailty tested. I love how the Mass begins with this admission of our, our sinfulness. It's counterintuitive. I think people who aren't familiar with the language of sin are jarred by that. They think, why do you do that? You know, make yourself feel miserable. But I think admitting that I'm a sinner doesn't mean, hey, I do a whole lot of evil things. It's like, God, I'm a creature of need. You know, I can't last five minutes without drawing in another breath from you. I have all sorts of needs. No one comes to God and says, hey, God, I don't really need you, but it's nice to be here. Everyone comes and says, thank you, Lord, for, for the gift of life and peace and grace and joy. I have nothing without you, you know. That's what it is to be sinful, you know. It, it's to be kind of lacking. It's, it's to be in need of an other for my own sake. And, and that's all of us. That's the way God's made us. We hear in Genesis, man, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, we're made for communion. So we're going to have our frailty tested. We're going to be, at times, confused. We will experience, at times, hopefully not in great ways, what it is to be mocked and rejected and abandoned. We're going to be, maybe, accused falsely at times, misunderstood. We're going to even have to bear punishment for things that we're innocent of. This is all part of the, the strange Christian life we walk, and God only knows why. Have you experienced any of this? Yeah, it's not, it's, not an, it's not an uncommon experience. We might think, this isn't fair. And it's not. It is not fair. But it redeems the world. How are wrongs righted? By equal opposite force? Warring against our enemy and then somehow finding a resolution? It never seems to work. No. Hurt and harm has to be sort of washed over by gratuitous forgiveness, absolving each other, saying, that's okay, that's in the past now. We're here today. This is a moment of grace. We make life's journey by suffering each other's rough edges, patiently, generously, reflecting back reality to them at times when it's needed, with clarity, with charity, but saying, hey, um, you may not know this, but that hurt, and, and let's, let's get through it, let's work through it. So maybe that brings us back to Jesus and his, whatever he said in that, in that passage is, is very perplexing indeed. But I think Jesus, Jesus is the divine physician. We've heard that phrase. And so he, he, he always has our wellness in mind. Imagine for a second that you're a child and your parents have taken you to get your flu shot, you know, and you don't understand what an immunization is. It's just... For all the purposes, it looks like you're going to be stabbed. <laughs> and everyone's happy about it. You know what I mean? Like, how, how odd of an experience for a child to have. But, but the wisdom of the doctor and the family know, no, um, this is unpleasant, but it's for your good. It's, it's actually going to make you strong and heal you. Uh, and you'd, you'd be worse off if not for this. I'd like to suggest that Jesus is maybe empathizing with our fear and our, I don't know, limited perception but he comes not as warmongerer. He comes as healer, divine physician, knowing how to sort of, you know, make an incision here, make a uh, stitch there, and, and at times, you know, break things that are, I don't know, poorly formed so that they can heal back again with proper form. 
he has our health and our well-being in mind. And I think we really have to, we have to trust in that at all times. Because if that's not true, what is true? Like we lose everything if that's, if that's a lie. I want to finish um, with, with um, those words given to us in Hebrews that John read for us. Because if we have this companion who is Jesus, and, and we have him and we have our little close three, we'll find pretty soon that we have many, many more than that. We have um, a great communion. I mean, even look around this room. We gather here as one body, one people. We couldn't be more intimate even if we wanted to be. We could realize it, but, but actually we're already caught up in the fibers of, of the mystical body of Christ. I don't think anything can get closer than that. You know what I mean? So we have Jesus, and in communion with him, we have this great countless choir of... Um, of uh, sort of saintly figures invested in us, praying for us, watching over us. Jesus says, with so many witnesses in a great cloud on every side of us, we have the ability and we're, we're encouraged and we're helped to throw off anything that hinders us. And it names sin, but, but anything, you know, anything that challenges our frailty and makes it give way. In the company that we have here as, as um, body of Christ and here with the with the saints praying for us, we can throw that stuff off. I wrote here, the cross is like a cane, you know. Um, we have this horrible image of dragging this big splintered wood thing behind us, but again, it's, it's a help. It's meant to stabilize us, give us, give us um, a sense of strength. It says there, Jesus, for the sake of the joy that lay in the future, endured the cross, disregarding the shamefulness of it. And finally, um, we tarry on till the end. You know, this journey is not in vain, but it is going somewhere. And, and even it's going into the fullness of, of, of life. It says, in the fight against sin, in the fight against our frailty, in the fight against the rough edges of each other that we, we come across, um, in the fight against the cruel forces of nature that every so often rear their ugly heads, we've not yet had to keep fighting to the point of death. The dying and rising happens moment by moment if we can approach it with grace and with trust and move through it we move into deeper and deeper realities of life of love of peace of um sincerity and who we are we know who we are we know what we stand for you know what i mean um so we make this journey hopefully in experiencing increasing measures of peace as we go and the god of peace the prince of peace who is jesus um is with us and is there to guide us the whole way through.